Alright, I'm gonna hold my phone back. Okay. Mmm. Mm. 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 that as a sound? Yeah. Make a ring. Hum it, hum it, hum it. Alright, here we go. Okay. Hello and welcome to this edition of Philly's Talk Podcast. It's a special Philadelphia Eagles slash Philadelphia Phillies podcast. I have two special guests on tonight's show. Uh, Mr. Matt Veazey, of course, everybody's familiar with him that has listened to the show. And maybe if it's your first time listening to the show, uh, how you doing, Matt? Yeah, yeah, and I I actually only produced a few podcasts since then uh, on the Phillies. I was taking some time off uh, after the season, but of course now the holidays are over. Um, starting to get a little warmer. It was uh, close to 60 degrees in the Philadelphia area today, and uh, our Philadelphia Eagles had a tremendous victory to propel them right into the Super Bowl. My Eagles fly. <laughs> and with us uh, on this podcast, uh, born in Philadelphia, mind you, a good friend of mine, Mr. Mike McCabe. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for joining us. And you're a longtime Eagles fan. Uh, you go back to the days of the University of Pennsylvania when the Eagles used to play there in the stadium. That's right, my field. Yeah, yeah 1960. Uh, you were there at the game. You had told me this story a few years ago. But uh, tell us that story if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> we'll go back in time to the to the early days of uh, Philadelphia Eagles here. Well, I guess I was about 11 or 12 years old, and uh, back then you could go drive. You you can go around the city of Philadelphia. You didn't have uh, the problems you have now today. So anyhow, I got in my childhood, somebody gave my parents a couple single-game tickets to the Phillies. So I saw I saw Sonny um, Jurgensen make his first appearance back in, in Philadelphia at Franklin Field after he had been traded to the Washington Redskins. Now, Sonny Jurgensen, now, for our listeners, uh, we got to remind Mike that our listeners are probably uh, 20 years old. This goes back a ways. This goes back a ways to uh, mm. the early days of the Washington Redskins when, uh, you know, their logo didn't didn't cause many issues right. in this country. Uh, but yeah, Sonny Jurgensen, he, he was a legend in the game. And if you're not familiar with him, go over to Baseball Reference, uh, the NFL site, look him up, and uh, see what a great player he was. Sorry about that, Mike. Christian Adolf Jurgensen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember him getting sacked, and they had just put new new artificial turf or something like that down on Franklin Fields on the, on the playing surface and somebody stands up behind me and says, hey Sonny, how do you like our new grass? <laughs> <laughs> and and I was uh, fortunate enough, I went to uh, two other games, I, I just have a hard time reflecting on which one is which but I saw the Minnesota Vikings with Bud Grant and Carl Eller and Alan Page and I just love them. I just love the whole mystique about that, about about them. <clears throat> and the, the last game I, that I can reflect on is I was at the game where they bombed Santa, Santa Claus. 
Yes, uh, Eagles fans, it hasn't been just the latest group of fans back in the vet to bomb Santa Claus with snowballs. They also did it back in the 60s. Well, they never did we'll never that. Never we'll never Yeah, no, they didn't <laughs> bomb him in, his, in the vet. They didn't? No, this all happened to Franklin Field. Yeah, they bombed the Dallas Cowboys in the vet. <laughs> yes, that, well, that was, that was, that was a well-executed, designed play there. They were successful. And, and anything that send Dallas packing anytime, any place. Well, In fact, I think it's pretty well known Rendell. Rendell threw a snowball. <laughs> you mean Fast Eddie? <laughs> yeah. Fast Eddie. Hey, he's, on record, he's on record for having thrown a snowball in that game. And he's, a, and he's an ex-governor of Pennsylvania as well. And he's the prosecutor of Philadelphia. <laughs> they could have, locked, could have locked him up, right? No comment. <laughs> Don't get me started on Eddie. Okay. Well, yeah. anywho, thanks for that look back to 1960, but, you know... Well, listen, you, before we totally move on from that, mm-hmm. I'm just that 1960 uh, Eagles championship. My father, mm-hmm. uh, a police officer for 30 years, <laughs> he was a he was in the police academy. He was a rookie, uh, or just coming out of it, and they were assigned to Franklin Field. He worked on the field, um, providing security as a Philadelphia police officer in that 1960 NFL championship. So he was there too. Wow! So, whole world. Yes. Well. <laughs> Uh, I would have been quite young. And you were, of course. But, it, uh, but a future brother-in-law, who's now de- deceased, he was uh, a backup offensive lineman center for for Green Bay Packers then. His name was Ken, Ken Iman. And they lost in Franklin Field, then they won the next two years in... Green Bay won the next two years, and then he played for the uh, Los Angeles Rams. And I, he didn't get married to my sister till much later, but I remember seeing him play. He was a center, and uh, for Roman Gabriel. Start of the Yes, yeah, he was with them for four years. Yes. Um, well, that's a look back uh, towards a, an era which will never be replaced, probably, in Philadelphia. I, I've been to the stadium there at um, Franklin Field, and it's just its a marvelous stadium. It's something that um, I think they underutilize today in Philadelphia. But, guys, we have a... Sports, local sports fans, a uh, great chance to get down there every spring uh, for very highly publicized pen relays. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still, like you said, a great facility, and when people start seeing pen relays advertised, uh, mm-hmm. the local people, it's a good chance to get down there and see... Uh, Great old yeah, and there's uh, there's a lot going on down there. If you're a visitor to Philadelphia, if you're coming into town, um, and it's springtime, which it will be soon, and we're going to get to the Phillies, I promise that. I know this is Phillies Talk podcast, but uh, <laughs> there's a whole complex at University of Pennsylvania. They're playing uh, tennis there, softball. Uh, it's a great complex. So if you do come to the city of Philadelphia. Make yourself at home. Uh, explore all that 
Philly has to offer. And a lot Palestra. of Go ahead. The Palestra. Palestra's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a big five game in Palestra. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely right. I remember remember every Saturday night as a teenager. There were two games in the Big Five on Saturday night on Channel 17, and Al Meltzer was the color man. And he used to go, he tickled the twine when they'd make a shot. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're we're talking about the old days and <laughs> tickling twine. Of course, uh, Joel Embiid is the guy that's uh, that's banging for the Sixers right now. But um, going back a ways, um, God, we have such a rich history, and we're gonna we're gonna get to the Phillies. I promise that the Sixers, of course, um, doing quite well as well. So, anywho. Um, the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, guys. Um, who could have predicted the Eagles win yesterday, Matt? Oh, I did. <laughs> that was a you mean free game. A free game. I actually, I actually called this a blowout, but uh, I put it up on Twitter, so it's documented. But I thought it was going to be a close game, and then they blow it open at the end. I thought there'd be like a, they'd have a like 17-13 lead. Touchdown to clinch it, and then maybe the D would score another one to really put it away. So my final was something thirty something to thirteen. So actually, pretty close on the final, but I, the game went totally there. I did not see uh, the Eagles blowing them out right almost from the start. I mean, after that first Vikings drive, which did not look good at all. Uh, after that, it was all Eagles. That's amazing. You actually closely predicted the score. Of course, it was thirty-eight to seven. Eagles had a wonderful game, three touchdowns. Uh, what a wonderful uh, way to get into the Super Bowl. And they they sort of, the first couple plays, they came out and the Vikings seemed to control that game for a little bit, and then the tide turned the other way very quickly. That first drive, the Vikings just drove down the field. I mean, they just could not stop them. And uh, I was kind of feeling like my wife made a pretty, pretty good comment watching the game with me. She said, you know, it was such a dominating drive by the Vikings that uh, the Eagles just were not looking like they were ready. And uh, the comment that my wife made was that they just need one play. The Eagles looked like they needed one play to, to turn it around, and that's what it was. They got that interception. Uh, we're at it back for a touchdown, and everything changed. And I'm going to play a little bit of, uh, of the game here. Uh, a completion from Nick Foles there. Uh, and he, he had a wonderful game. He, he's a backup for the Eagles. Who could have predicted that he's been so good for the Eagles in this run towards the Super Bowl? Rich, 352 yards, uh, three TDs, no interceptions, a 141-plus quarterback rating. He was incredible yesterday. And I think all of us, probably every Yeah, better luck next year. 
but they still had, you know, everything else. So, uh, if anything, I think it might have benefited them if it had to happen. It might have benefited them that happened when it did. That it gave Foles a chance to play in two or three games to to get some, you know, get some experience playing time exposure. He's, a, he's an experienced guy. He's played in the NFL before. He's won in the NFL before. Yeah. But he had he sat on the bench all year. You know, so what can you expect when the guy's sitting on the bench all year? Well, you know, what I don't understand is this. When when he was traded away, I'm thinking to myself, you've got a really good quarterback here. Chip Kelly just didn't like him for whatever reason. It's like, and exactly. and well, Chip Kelly. Chip, uh, we won't say too much about him, but <laughs> but that didn't work. But what I didn't understand was he went. I thought it would be a perfect situation for him when he went to Kansas City and he was back with Andy Reid. If I'm not mistaken, but nothing, nothing ever materialized there. But uh, nevertheless, they get him back, and it's like, well, this is a guy that was an all-pro and was the uh, was the MVP of the Pro Bowl, and he's got his uniform in the Hall of Fame for that game where he threw seven touchdowns. Was it seven? So there's a man that there's a man that can do the job. And I got a little apprehension. In the city, though, in St. Louis, he, he just didn't play real well in St. Louis. Um, Kansas City, I'm really not sure what happened there. I know that he, he ended up um, basically as the backup to Alex Smith. So uh, I really don't know. You know. He just seemed like he, he kind of lost him when he went to St. Louis and never really got it back. From what I heard, he was ready to retire. Yes. Uh, so he never played for Andy Reid, did he? Uh, I think so. In 2016, last year, he played Kansas City, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but prior to that. Yeah, but he had never... Andy Reid hadn't drafted him, had he? No. No. Uh, okay. No, he was drafted by Andy Reid, but he didn't really play too much under Reed here. He played under uh, Chip here. Yeah. And Mike, you're <laughs> you're putting uh, Matt to the test on his football knowledge. Yeah, here, he's doing so. a good job. Sorry, I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm asking. I'm I'm at the feet of the I master. I heard him talk about it yesterday on the broadcast that he was drafted under Reed and had his big year under Chip, but he did play his rookie year under Andy Reed. I'm pretty sure. Well, you know, you know what was funny is you're watching that game yesterday. Here's the national broadcast, Joe Buck. And I don't know if it was Joe Buck or Troy, Troy Aikman, but about midway through the second half, they're saying... They were being apologetic to the Vikings about the Vikings. You don't normally see them play like this. <laughs> no, you probably don't. It's because they're getting their butts whipped. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think that we were, you know, people talking about how good the Vikings were. I think maybe it was because of Wentz's injury. I don't know, but I think people forgot how good the Eagles were. This was the best record in the, in the NFC this year. They were tied with the Patriots for the best record in the NFL. I know a lot of that came with Wentz on their center, but still, this was a good team. This wasn't just Carson Wentz. And I didn't and hear... I think they got on their shoulder. After, they, after he went down and everybody said they're done, I think as a group, they got a little chip on their shoulder. And said, you know, well, yeah, we're not done. Here's the, here's, the, here's the big question for you. 
The here's, here's the $64 question. Or I thought it was $64,000. The $128 question. Do you have your dog mask? No, I, no. I don't care for the dog mask. I'm not. I'm not on board with that. And my, yeah, I'm. I'm just not. I don't know where that came from. I guess I haven't really. I don't even know number sixty-five. <laughs> Does he have a dog, or, or where did that come from, anyway? As soon as they got, it was announced that they were underdogs. Pretty uh, NFC champ, pretty playoff game against the land. Uh, uh, long, uh, first long. Yeah. Uh, and then one of the other guys who um, I think it was. I think it was sixty-five. I think it was uh, um, the guy from Texas, the right tackle, Lane Johnson. Yeah, they came up with the dog mask. Yeah. You know, it's right from there. Once he wore it in that post-game interview, just <laughs> I had to get one. <laughs> they're underdogs again. That's good. As soon as I saw it, they were five and a half point underdogs. I was like, that's perfect. That's just exactly what you want right now. That's money in the bank. They're going to kick. It just feeds right into it. It just feeds right into that whole mentality of the underdog. Yeah. I, now, now, they're five and a half point underdogs to the Patriots right now. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's what it opened. I'm not really sure where you can Yeah, out in Vegas, if you have uh, some money and you want to put put some money down on the game, uh, we're, we're bullish on the Eagles here. Of course, we're a little partial since we're doing a, uh, a Phillies and Eagles podcast here. But guys, uh, what a great victory it was. And now the Eagles move on. Uh, it's going to be played the Super Bowl in Minnesota and just so happens that there's a blizzard in Minnesota right now and there's more snow expected uh, in two weeks. I was actually uh, chatting with a weather forecaster um, that I know locally here in South Jersey. Uh, his name is Jim Everwine and he's worked for the uh, National Weather Service for 42 years and he was uh, reviewing some of the models uh, out uh, at Minnesota, uh, around Minnesota today, and of course uh, with the blizzard that's going on there now, it's going to prevent a lot of the Eagles fans from getting there early. And he was telling me that some of the Vikings fans were probably having a, a hell of a time getting home with that blizzard in Minnesota. So, <laughs> little weather news, of course. The game is going to play indoors with the dome there in Minnesota, but uh, so that shouldn't be an issue. Uh, but what if it was? I mean, that's football, playing outdoors in snow and conditions. Uh, what do you guys feel about the, um, you know, playing a Super Bowl in Minnesota and having it indoors? Mike? Well, <clears throat> I, have, I have mixed feelings on that. I used to believe that the... That the the Super Bowl was only for the for the wealthy people to be able to go down and spend those two three four thousand dollars on a ticket for the Super Bowl. But the Super Bowl is more than just the football game. It's the Motorola Mile. It's all these companies that put out displays, and there's events that go on. Uh, I was at a Super Bowl. Not at a game, but I was at down a Super Bowl weekend down in Miami when uh, I think Chicago was playing Indianapolis, and it poured like heck. 
so most of the events around the game were canceled. But the prior couple days before that, there were a lot of events going on. And you stand by the ESPN ESPN tent and hear people harassing the the announcers as they're having a, a, a live show on TV. And uh, no, I no, I I didn't say a word. <laughs> No, they weren't really harassing them. They were, oh, having, they were having fun with them. Having a lot of fun with them. The ones that are still there, of course. A lot of the ESPN announcers <laughs> from back then are no longer yeah. with that network. They they cleaned house a few years ago. Yeah. But, uh, Matt, any comment on the... Um, on the situation in Minnesota, I've heard the tickets are uh, locally on the uh, news broadcast around here. Uh, some millennials and younger people, 25, 30, are willing to spend up to $5,000 to go out and see their eagles. There you go. The big thing, especially from my profession, you got to worry about fraud. you, know, you got to make sure that you have, you're buying from a reputable you know, source. Uh, I saw... Again, one of the local news stations here had a nice story on an Eagles travel provider. They, they specialize in Eagle road trips. Mm-hmm. And if those individuals, those, that, that business was saying that their package, I think it was three nights plus round trip airfare plus a ticket to the game was something like $7,500. Yeah, 7500 yeah. But if it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know, I could see a lot, I could see a lot of people jumping. I think you're, I think you're going to see a lot of Eagles fans. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, how I mean, many... But you're going to see a lot of people say, hey, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Uh, viewers, you'll see people taking out loans. You'll see people hitting whatever savings they have. Credit cards, the whole nine yards. <laughs> Credit cards. Hitting little old ladies over the head. <laughs> Mike just but the said. Thing is, but the thing is, when you're dealing with a source like that, mm-hmm. they're wrecking. You know, these are people who run Eagles road trips constantly. Their sources are good. You know that the tickets are going to be good. So you can you have a lot of peace of mind when you're dealing with a source like that, too. Right. And, of course, uh, in the area, uh, the Eagles fans had a, a wonderful celebration uh, yesterday and last night uh, into the wee hours of the morning, uh, 10 to 15 Maybe even 20,000 fans marched up Broad Street. Uh, they had a great revelry and which spilled out into the old, old, old neighborhoods, uh, around the Liberty Bell. Uh, good time was had by all there and good luck to the Eagles in Super Bowl 52 coming up on February 4th. <laughs> Another note on the commercials for the Super Bowl. They're going for $7.7 million uh, this year. And that's that's quite a lot of jingle, but I guess they're going to get a good return on their 30-second commercial, most of these companies. That's a lot. That's a lot of change. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, halftime show, Justin Timberlake this year. Uh, always good to look forward to that. Uh, hopefully he doesn't have any uh, issues or wardrobe malfunctions. I certainly hope he doesn't have a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> we got our uh, local girl, Pink, is going to be singing the national anthem, so I'm looking forward to that. She's, she's awesome. Yeah, she's uh, something else. And, Matt, you have a, uh, a close tie to Philadelphia, of course. Uh, I don't know if you've mentioned it on the on the Phillies Talk podcast in uh, the last year or so, but you just retired from the Philadelphia Police Department. 
Yes, sir. Uh, Friday was my last day. Oh. On the payroll now after uh, almost three decades. That's amazing. 30 years as a uh, Philadelphia police officer, and I guess you've seen some great uh, events in the sporting world. Uh, any of you, you care to talk about, uh, like the Phillies maybe? Uh, have you ever been assigned to uh, special events for the, you know, around the stadiums, maybe Vets Stadium? Sure. Yeah, I just I did 28 years. I followed my dad who did 30 years. So there's been a Matthew Vizi on the Philadelphia Police Department every calendar year from 1960 through 2018. So that sure will be the first time in almost 60 years that there wasn't a Matthew Vizi on the job. Wow, that's, am- uh, that's amazing. I've done a number, number of sporting events, Rich. Uh, uh, you know, Phillies games, I can't tell you that I did any particular Phillies game that uh, as far as work that stands out, but plenty of time goes down there working the detail, handling traffic outside the ballpark. Uh, oh, you're the guy that was responsible. <laughs> that was, now I'm talking about when I was a police officer, so yeah, that was Veteran Stadium yeah. that I worked that goes back uh, to the big bank park. Never really worked as a. I've been there a million times, but I've never worked it as a as a police officer. Um, I worked Eagles games at the vet. Uh, I was a police officer from 1990 through 96, and I made detective, and then uh, spent about six and a half years as a detective, and then I was uh, promoted to sergeant. Spent about four years or so as a sergeant on the street, and the last decade I was in the training bureau. So I've had a lot of different experiences, but uh, my time in actually working sporting events would have mostly been down there as a police officer. Although, I'll tell you, my last sporting event was my most memorable. Uh, Last spring, I got to work every night at the NFL draft. That was awesome. That was a tremendous event for the city. The city looked great. The weather was perfect. Uh, the crowds were huge, and they were really well behaved. I mean, it was just a, it was a big party for three days. And uh, I was right up at the stage. I had a group of about eight cops working for me. Mm-hmm. And our, our job was right up at the front uh, where the <laughs> I got a picture with I wrote with uh, the commissioner and That's awesome. a lot of interaction with the fans up there. Uh, we got to see some of the you know celebrity people come and go, meaning mostly broadcasters that were coming and going. So uh, it, was a, it was just a fantastic event. It really put the Philadelphia on the map again. Everybody gets, I guess, nationwide they give Philly a bad rap for the uh, bombing Santa Claus episode, but I think that the national media were, were pleasantly surprised at how well it went off. Yeah, excellent. Can't say anything, you know, can't say anything negative. It was, it was a completely positive experience. So uh, that was a great sporting event to be at. You know, over the course of my career, I did a number of concerts, you know, <coughs> did some of those games early in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, And of course, uh, those who aren't familiar with the Philadelphia area, uh, the stadium complex is in South Philadelphia, and it, it really always has been. Uh, for the most part, for the past, uh, I would say, maybe 40 years, 50 years, I know there was talk about having the Philly Stadium uh, rebuilt in the uh, Chinatown District. That goes back to 2004, and that was a plan that never happened. Fortunately. But it, 
And Mike said, fortunately, of course, uh, probably due to parking and other... Yeah, traffic, yeah. <laughs> ...other things, even though, well, we had two Philadelphia baseball teams in this town uh, over the years, the Philadelphia Athletics, uh, going back many years. Uh, Mike, did you ever go to Philadelphia Athletics? When you lived in Philly or growing up in Philly? They left the year before I was born. Oh, you just missed them. Just missed them. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna leave with my, I'm, I'm gonna leave as soon as I can find my walker and my dentures. (laughs) I'm gonna try to, um, um, you know, I'm not familiar with when the athletics actually stopped playing. 1954. Six or 57? 54. Wow. 54? 54. Yeah. Um, they went to Kansas City for about a decade. Yes. And they went to the club. So a little history there for you, but getting back to the stadium. Where's my teeth? Uh, Mike's looking for his teeth. Yeah, all the stadiums are right in South Philadelphia. There was a JFK Stadium down there, which uh, some older listeners may remember from Live Aid. Phil Collins playing both sides of the Atlantic that day. And they tore that down. And that's sort of where um, the Eagle Stadium is now. Is it not? Or, or was Wachovia right near there? Um, the um, yeah. Wells Fargo Center. Yeah, where JFK was. You also spill over, like, JFK was there, and then you had the Spectrum. Like, right. Kind of like uh, next to that. And that whole area where, like, the Spectrum and JFK were, that's, that's all now where, like, the link, the parking lots, and the Wachovia Center are. Yeah, and there are um, little mementos if you do uh, come down. You you also have those um, entertainment facilities there now, the uh, Xfinity Live. Exactly. And I happened to be there uh, a weekend ago uh, before the Eagles uh, made it into the NFC Championship game. And uh, uh, that place was electric down there. There was probably 500 to 1,000 people in line just to get into the Xfinity Center and across the street at Citizens Bank Park. How many? I would say at least well, 500 to 1,000 people on either side wow. uh, pre-game uh, trying to get into these uh, venues. So, you know, you got to give credit to the um, planners that plan that, especially when the teams do well. That was uh, box office business being done down there in South Philadelphia. Place to be. <laughs> So uh, that's congratulations to you, Matt. 60 years continuous of Matt Vesey being on the police department in Philadelphia. That's a that's a real honor. Yeah, yeah I, I was very proud to to continue the tradition that my dad uh, that my dad started. He he, well, you just lost him last year. He passed away in August. Mm-hmm. He was uh, 77 years old. Oh. So uh, very healthy his whole life until the yeah. last year. So, uh, yeah. and if he's looking down on this whole Eagles thing, I'm sure, and, uh, and uh, smiling and following intently from heaven. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and my brother is still on the job. I got a brother who's a sergeant in the police department. He's continuing the family tradition. So, I miss that. Any children on in the oh, prospect? No, no children on now. So, whenever my brother leaves, that might be it. <laughs> unless we get, get one of, you know, he's got a daughter or maybe one of the grandkids. Yeah. Right now, 
They will follow in uh, Dad's footsteps, probably, and it's uh, not a bad job, I'm sure, uh, to be a police officer uh, today. Let's move on. Let's get to the Phillies a little bit. But before we do that, I just wanted to mention to our listeners, Mike McCabe, who is our special guest, uh, has a... uh, has had many titles. He's worked for the city of Atlantic City for many years and retired out of there. And he was known affectionately as the mayor of the boardwalk uh, for for the last few years of his career. And if you want a, an easy job, if you want a cushy job, that would be the mayor of the boardwalk. And Mike, could you just talk about that for just a minute? What were your duties as the mayor, quote-unquote, of the boardwalk? Oh, oh, man. I was the inspector of the boardwalk. And, yes, on the one hand, it is a cushy job, but on the other hand, there was a lot of responsibilities involved. So, yes, yeah, so... Is those uh, carts up there where they push you around and you can... Yes, uh, yeah, that's those... Yeah, that's those... Uh, what do you call that? Uh, yeah, but they yeah they have those carts. The push carts, yeah. Don't... <laughs> <laughs> and they also they have trams. They have trams as well now. But but anyhow, I uh, I was keeping the boardwalk safe for Democrats because Republicans know how to pick up their feet when they walk. Cause, yeah, because because people stumble over a high nail or a high board and they trip. So Republicans know how to pick up their feet. Democrats, they just shuffle. And that's a little joke from, yeah. uh, a little political joke there. We don't want <laughs> yeah, to isolate far. our listeners. Yeah, yes. Uh, it just, half your audience, right? <laughs> yeah, if you, uh, I know Philadelphia yeah. is a, uh, yeah. a great place. A to, democratic uh, bastion. Yes, it is. <laughs> well. Good thing. Good thing. <laughs> I think I can transition you, Rich, pretty well, pretty easily. Okay. Well, yeah, get us out of these politics, would you please? Well, I'm looking through the internet here, and I'm seeing that tomorrow morning the Angels have scheduled at his request. They scheduled a conference call for Mike Trout to talk about the Eagles. Oh wow! So Mike Trout out there in California, he's going to be having a conference call where he's going to be talking about his his Eagles. He supposedly they, the quote is that he's on cloud. Nine. <laughs> no trout. And of course, uh, he's from the South Jersey area. For anybody that's listening that doesn't know, he's from Millville, New Jersey. So uh, he's been at a lot of the Eagles playoff games, and uh, he's got a season ticket, season ticket holder right at the end zone. Yeah, yeah, he sits right down on the field, so he probably uh, has a VIP status there at the link. And of course, uh, I think we'll probably see him at the Super Bowl. So. It'd be nice to hear what he has to say about the game, and uh, let's let's segue right into the Phillies because we're we're going a little long on this podcast, and it's all right because uh, special things special occasion. The Phillies uh, just about ready to head south. Uh, pitchers and catchers, huh? Yeah, pitchers and catchers uh, starting up soon, and uh, I happen to be at an event uh, the other afternoon. Uh, it was a, called the Phillies College Summit, and I blogged a little bit about it on fightinphillies.com, which is the blog home of the Phillies Talk podcast here, and I got to get a little bit of insider information on our new manager, Gabe Kapler, and uh, why don't you talk a little bit about him first, Matt? What's your impressions of our new Phillies manager before I play a little piece that I recorded at this summit? 
two comments on Gabe Kaplan. Let me just say off the top of my head, what a piece of work. I mean, he is, he looks like he's going to be a character. And I don't mean in the like old school, you know, kind of manager character, but, uh, just very, I mean, he's uber new school. Yeah. Like Charlie Manuel's on one end of the spectrum, Gabe Kaplan's on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, he's sort of like I'm more of an old school guy, so I'm like a boa, you know, Charlie kind of guy. So Kapler is totally opposite of what I expected them to go for. Phillies are tradition; they're a very old school, traditional kind of organization. They are they historically been. So I thought that this was a an interesting sign to say the least. Well, God, geez. now Larry Boa himself. Uh-huh. Kapler is he's very he's he played a dozen years in the big leagues, six different teams, he's won a World Series with the Red Sox as a ball player. Uh-huh. So, I mean he's won it all as a player. He's been a he's been a top prospect himself, so he knows the young guys. After his career he spent time in broadcasting, he spent time in the front office with the Dodgers, he's played overseas. Uh, so Kapler's got a, a wealth of experience. And if you if you've listened to him, and I before he ever got hired by the Phillies, before he was ever even a candidate, uh, I always had a good impression of Kapler because he was really well spoken when you heard him interviewed on television. He came across real well. So I have a lot of hopes that maybe this is a that this is a fantastic out of the box sign. Right. But he's, he's an experienced, so we'll have to. It'll be. It's a we'll see for me. You know, I think it could be a great thing. Yeah. We'll see. Who was who his bench coach? Um, let me see if I can bring that up. Uh, is Larry Boa out of the picture now? Larry Boa, as far as I know, um, he's upstairs. He's one of them advisor, you know, advisor to the to the uh, general manager, one of them types of deals, advisor to the owner. Yeah, and what generally happens when a, when a manager starts off, he, he wants all his own people. Uh, he wants people surrounding him that uh, aren't necessarily the old guard, so to speak. And uh, Mike asked about the bench coach, and I'm, I'm yeah, due to the who is it? Of the Yankees. Yeah, he comes from the Yankees. Rob Thompson is, is his name. Uh, so Mike now knows the bench coach of, of the Phillies. And I didn't know that either. You know, this, this changeover to the new guard, so to speak. Uh, they basically clean house, uh, with the coaches. Uh, and that's, that's to be expected. A lot of people expected, uh, Dusty Wadham to become the manager of the Phillies. Of course, uh, he's been with the minors for the Phillies for many years and he'll be the third base coach this year uh, but Jose Flores will be at first base so who does he play for who's that Jose Flores well I'm not too familiar again I'm, I'm on the phillies.com website as we're doing the podcast and Mike you got to do a little research if you're going to join well, us on this the was news to me <laughs> well let me tell you one thing right off the top as far as I'm concerned you got two guys from the American League they don't know how to do the double switch when you change pitchers just <laughs> <laughs> Flores was a big, big 
roles for two seasons in the big leagues, 2002-2004, with the uh, A's and the Dodgers. Two, a cup of coffee with both teams. <laughs> so uh, we've got some interesting developments with the Phillies. Uh, I liked uh, at, to go back to this uh, college summit. It's the first time that I was able to attend this this year. And uh, what it basically is is a group of college students that buy tickets uh, and they come and mingle with the Phillies organization. Uh, there was five or six different stations set up with, um, there was the director of broadcast for the Phillies, Mr. Rob Brooks, and he was awesome. He uh, talked to uh, many of the college students about uh, getting their foot in the door with the Phillies, and of course, uh, it's a competitive field, and it's one that a lot of these college students don't get paid <coughs> It's one that, you know, the Phillies organization um, utilizes as well as other sports um, organizations as well uh, for the college crowd, the new up-and-coming uh, kids that are looking for career. So um, it was great to be part of that. And let me just play a minute or two of some of what uh, Mr. Gabe Kapler had to say about how he um, broke into the game of baseball and a, and a personal story that he shared about a manager that really took him under his wing. Let's hear from him. It's a good question. I, I mean, I think I pretty wide-ranging. Um, I guess from, I can pick and choose from different managers that I've been around and some of the characteristics that they've brought to the table that I think are, are pretty special. I bring up Terry Francona pretty often. He was my manager with the Boston Red Sox in 2004. And I remember looking down at him in the dugout and he always had a smile for me whether I was swinging the bat well or not. But that stood out to me as something that was really important because just like every, we're all human beings, right? When we struggle, the first thing we, we look for is, is reassurance from somebody, anybody, that we're going to be okay. So to get that from my manager in that particular time was, was powerful. Another story, similarly, I was with Johnny Oates. I don't know how many people know who Johnny Oates was. But Johnny was uh, a manager for me in the Texas, with the Texas Rangers organization in 2000, 2001. And I was going into my second season. Went to spring training, um, had been traded for Juan Gonzalez in a, in a big package deal. And I, don't, I felt like I had a lot of pressure on me. Maybe I didn't, but I felt like I did. And my spring training was just awful. I had gone through 15 at-bats and hadn't struck one ball hard. And frankly, I, was, I felt very alone. Johnny was an older dude, um, but very warm. And he walked me out to right field. He put his arm around me, and he said, Cap, you are my opening day right field, no matter what happens in spring training. And it was that reassurance in that moment that I desperately needed. So those are two things from my experiences playing that I'll probably bring to this clubhouse. You can bet that I'm going to find somebody this spring training and utilize that experience with. And that's... Uh, Austin. Austin from Sales University. If you, if you will, just uh, when you ask the question, let us know where you're that, from. That was Austin from Sales University that had that question for Gabe Kapler. And uh, it sounds like he's uh, going to be a guy that really uh, takes some of these younger players under his wing and uh, gives him 
give them rather um, some good advice that he may have learned uh, coming up through the league. You're not going to fall asleep on him, Rich. I mean, he's intense. So, I mean, it, Pete was a little bit laid back. You know, Charlie was, you know, with Charlie did. Kapler's a whole other story. I mean, he's definitely fired up. He's, yeah. I think he's going to fence from day one. And uh, if you can't keep up with him you can't, and you can't play hard constantly, I, I think you're going to be gone. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful. Sometimes young guys need that kick in the pants, and he sounds like he's going to be a mixture of, you know, kind of like the Francona uh, right. communicator, but as well, he's also a no-nonsense, you know, work. You know, he wants all work. He wants you working hard, so. So how do you think he... Mike, Mike has a question for you here. How do you think he's going to <clears throat> to deal with the center fielder for the Phillies at Odubel? That's going to be, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> I don't know, we'll see. You know, Odubel, he drifts sometimes. Yes. <laughs> when, when, he's, when he's on, he's really on. He's like an all-star when he's on. Um, when he, he drifts, he can drift for a long period of time. So, <laughs> I think he, and Franco are going to be, Franco's one of the big question marks for me. This yeah. Year. To see something out of it now. They're going to be interesting. I, I don't know how he's going to deal with it, but we'll see. And, of course, Cap, as he... other options out there, you know? Right. Now they have other options. Sure. You, know, you figure they got, uh, they're sticking, they're going to go with Hoskins in left field for the most part. Uh, Nick Williams in right, so you, you know, you have all there. So it's yeah. like, if Odubel goes too far afield, you know, it's not like they don't have other options. Altair is a very good outfielder. Can play every position. Won a Golden Glove and won a Golden Glove in the minor leagues. And a Golden Glove, not a glove. A glove. Did you say glove or a glove? Oh, glove, whatever it takes. <laughs> okay. A Golden Glove. We'll take that. <laughs> it was gold. Yeah, it was golden. So. Interesting to see how they mix it, mix and match in that outfield. Yes, it will indeed. And as those guys looking to play, I mean, they're all at that age where they don't need to be sitting around. No, but that's what made the Santana signing a little bit, a little bit odd to me. I'm yeah. not really all totally 100 on board with that signing, but I, I sort of, I, I think you're, <laughs> I think you're 100 percent correct in your assessment there about the Santana signing. And I think this Philly season all changed around last year with that kid Williams when they brought him up. Do you remember there were articles in the newspaper saying he was a bad attitude and things like that in the minors? Do you remember reading any of that? Sure, that was from the year before. That was a big knock on him. It was a little bit immature. Supposedly from everybody around the game, around the team, he really grew up a lot last year. What? His, uh, his change in attitude and, and uh, work work ethic and his work habits and that that is what got him promoted last year. Okay, because... Uh, he did well, he got promoted. Because I'll tell you what, I'm watching him in, in his interviews after the game. A couple games, he had a real couple good games and won the game for him. It's like the kid was nothing but smiles and enthusiasm. I'm thinking, who was this player? This is not the player that I read about in, in the minors pouting and the. Well, he changed. He changed the whole season around for the Phillies, as far as I'm concerned. That was the best move. What do you think about that? Him and Hoskins. You know, that when Hoskins showed up. Uh, Williams came earlier. I think Williams came like June, maybe. Yeah, he came in a couple months earlier. But I'm just saying, he's he was the emphasis. I mean, he started it off, and then they brought Hoskins up. Oh, uh, yeah. 
I, I just think that the whole team started playing better when he was around there. It's so nice and refreshing to see somebody with a smile on their face, and it's not drudgery. And they're, you know, you could tell he was honestly happy to be there. Yeah, I agree. That's an awesome comment. Let's hear one more here. One more from from the Phillies College Summit here. <laughs> My name is Dan Quinn. I'm an MBA candidate at Rutgers University. Um, my question for you is, obviously, getting to the majors is a pretty difficult task. Getting to the minors is a pretty difficult task. Was there a moment or an age, a time when you were in college where all of a sudden it was like, wow, I could really do this? Uh, yeah, I guess I guess my freshman year of college, um, you know, I had three months of fall ball before that. You know, I was, Came on campus thinking I was hot stuff. Um, quickly failed. Quickly, quickly failed. But my, and it was probably the best thing for me. Um, I didn't didn't start the um, the first couple weekends when I was in college. I got an opportunity and kind of never looked back from there. Um, I ended up being a freshman All American, and that was kind of you know, like I said, my coach kind of instilled that that thought process of learning about the mental side of the game. And that was really the first time where I'd seen results um, from focusing on that instead of just, you know, trying to get by physically. So that was kind of a, a eureka moment. Like, okay, I, maybe I can do this. Um, and then, you know, the confidence kind of just grew from there. So there's uh, Gabe Kapler again. Uh explaining to these young uh, college students how he came up in the game. Not a lot was known about Gabe Kapler to us, uh, Matt, before he became the Phillies manager, and he sort of came out of nowhere, really, uh, in the field of qualified managers uh, that were out there to get this job. And I I just, um, I think Matt Klintak, Phillies GM, really did a great job finding this diamond in the rough, so to speak, in Gabe Kapler. Yeah. It was a surprise to me as well. You know, he's, like I said, if you look at his record, no, he's got all like ticks off all the boxes. You know, he's got tons of experience and, and a wide ranging experience. So, uh, excuse me, he's got a, a great age. Um, yeah, he's speaking very upbeat, positive. Yeah, he's going to relate to some of these younger players much more uh, effectively than Pete McCannon did. Not to Pete McCannon, who who has been in the Phillies organization for fifty years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so younger Phillies fans who you know they don't, they don't even remember who Scott Rowland is, let alone that he was a Phillies player. That right. was, feels like it was yesterday. All right, maybe we're showing a, a little bit of our age here, but. Mm. Uh, you know, the, uh, to wind up our talk about this college summit, uh, the Phillies put on a great program. Um, they offered uh, snacks and things like that for these college students and uh, gave them a good opportunity. Uh, there were some people that came in from Ohio and as far as California looking for these jobs. And, again, they're internships for the most part. They, they're not getting paid. They want to get their foot in the door. And Major League Baseball has um, great opportunities for people like that, young, younger people. You know, it's uh, it's really great that they offer this for uh, these great college students because they're they're really smart. Yeah, they got that. They got their uh, you know, their winter caravans going on, and uh, you know, Baseball America today came out with their top 100 
prospects list. So we said five prospects on that. So we're starting to hear, we're starting to see everything rolling towards right. spring training. I guess we're about uh, maybe three weeks away from spring training, three and a half weeks away from pitchers and catchers. Yeah. Or it's over from there. Do you recall who the top prospect was? For the Phillies? Yeah, the Phillies prospect now from Baseball America is J.P. Crawford. They still consider him a prospect because he, he uh, has his uh, big league rookie eligibility, I believe. He still has that. Crawford. Yeah, Crawford is their number 16 overall prospect. And they had uh, the young pitcher that everybody's talking about, Sixto Sanchez or Sixto mm-hmm. Sanchez. He's number 31. Uh, Kingery. Yes, Scott Adam Owsley, they're on the list too. Where was Roy, Reese Hoskins at last year? Do you know? Was he even on the list? Okay. Who's that? Reese Hoskins was on the list last year. Not, not anymore. No, last year. Anymore. But he was on the list last year. Huh? 16, Sanchez is 25, and then you got the second baseman, Scott Kingery, is 31. I think we could see him this year. Crawford, you'll definitely see now. Freddie Bonnie's going to be starting with shortstop. There's the pitcher, Adonis Medina, is 84, and then number 100. Their number 100 prospect overall is a guy, Adam Hazley, was a draft, part of their draft class last year. What do you think about the trade of... Uh of uh, the shortstop trading away the shortstop that was all for it yeah I'm ready to pay from that crew crew I mean Joseph and Cameron Ruff and Freddie Galvis and even Cesar Hernandez I'm ready to turn the page from those guys that was three or four losing years here like bad years I'm ready for this crew JP I want to see JP Crawford all year at shortstop you know I want to see I would like to see them I'll commit fully to give it Jorge, Jorge Alfaro a full full starting shot with Nap as the backup. I don't, I don't really know why they kept Rump around. I wouldn't have kept him. Um, they still kept him, right? Right now he's still on the team? Cameron Rupp? We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to just sign them. We're gonna have to get Mike a Phillies press guide for the holidays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, the for opening day, we're gonna have Mike a press guide. Caesar, I think at second base, I think Caesar's going to. He'll start the season as the second baseman. But Kingery, if he, if he plays well again this year, Hernandez is going to be a trade chip. I think maybe you'll see Caesar go, depending on you know whether they're in contention for a wild card spot or not, which is a possibility. But if they're not, I think you'll see Caesar go around the trade deadline and start getting Kingery up here. All right, it's let's... going to be an interesting season. This is going to be a, a very interesting season for them as they try to get back towards that 500 mark. Yes, it will. And, of course, uh, the Phillies with Crawford at short this year. Uh, as you said, Hernandez at second. Two solid infielders. Santana he brought in this year. And, uh, of course, as you mentioned, Matt, Rice Hoskins, who he was at the uh, college summit as well, gave a good talk as well to these college students. I won't play what he said. If you uh, want to hear the whole interview, you can find it on Fighting Phillies. That's about 45 minutes. And uh, Andy Galdi is also on that recording. He's uh, the Phillies director of sports analytics who worked at Google. Interesting that a lot of the college students really uh, stayed after the program 
around. They made Andy Galdi and also Ned Rice, who is the uh, assistant uh, to Matt Clintock, available after this college summit. And these college students wouldn't let those two guys go. They, they held them up for maybe 20 minutes or a half hour talking sports. And what do you, what's your feeling about sabermetrics, Matt? thing you said about they wouldn't let them go and it doesn't surprise me at all I mean, the younger generation uh, so you're talking about college kids these young kids they're all into the analytics and Andy Galley is an analytics guy that's that's what he's here for mm-hmm. um, so that doesn't surprise me here that they were interested in keeping them around talking to them picking their phone picking their uh, brains <laughs> yeah absolutely I think a little bit of both you know I'm, I'm not against analytics, like I'm, I would say I'm generally an old school guy, but, and you know, you need to have your eyes on the players, you need to see them, and I'm, I believe scouts do a fantastic job, you know, you need both, you need your old school scouts, people who are watching the players, right. people who feel for how they are in a game situation, uh, behind the scenes in the locker room, yeah. but you also, you have to have an analytics uh, and I, I was actually sitting there uh, in amongst the college students myself. I went back to school this semester, took a class at my local uh, community college here. So it, it qualified me to get to this college summit. But uh, I can only kind of think about one guy uh, who's broadcasting for the Phillies right now, um, our old first baseman, Mr. John Cruck, and I could imagine him just come busting through the door when uh, Andy Gowdy is talking numbers and, uh, you know, how many times a ball might go through the wickets or whatever and and have uh, have a guy like, <laughs> like him burst through the door with a beer in his hand like the 93 Phillies uh, would have probably done. Uh, of course, they, they wouldn't do it in this situation, but uh, could you imagine that with uh, having guys like Cruck and uh, Danny Dalton. Jackson, uh, the late Darren Dalton, around this uh, sabermetrics crowd. Uh, just, uh, I don't think... That, uh, that Phillies team, though, if you remember, they were almost a, they were almost a, a flash forward to this analytics day. As much as we like to think of them as the, you know, the rowdy, beer swilling, macho row. Right. Exactly. Know, Exact opposite. They purple that. Right. If you remember, a big feature of that team was that they knew how to take a base. They were big on base guys. They were big on taking a walk. Yeah. Um, That's kind of new school stuff, like getting men on base. And the 93 Phillies were awesome at that. Uh, Yeah. I don't remember all the statistics now, but I do recall that was a big feature. And they had a lot of the walk leaders. Uh, If I looked at the stats back then, I'm sure the Phillies were, if not the top, one of the top teams had taken a base. Yeah. So, um, Rice Hoskins, uh, yeah, as you said, taking a base. Rice Hoskins, one of the most patient batters that I've seen in a long time. I saw him a couple times last season at Citizens Bank Park, and uh, you've probably been up there yourself a few times, Matt. What's your uh, take on Hoskins? Do you think he's going to uh, repeat that great year that he had last year? He was exciting, wasn't he? Uh, you know, he just, we, we hope so. Rich, you know, he looks, he looks the part. Uh, he looks good. He's the kind of thing that the Phillies need. They need, they need 
needed to, to develop a slugger. You know, middle-of-the-order slugger could, uh, from who's homegrown, who you didn't have to go out and pay, you know, $30 million a year for. Right. Uh, now they can, if they have their own from in-house, if Hoskins can become a consistent, and I think he can become a consistent, like, 30 100 guy, then, uh, then they can go out and spend $30 million. Forty million on a Bryce Harper, or Manny Machado, or even a couple of years, maybe bringing in Mike Trout. They can go out and spend big money on that guy, and I feel like you know you're you're already getting one on the cheap, so now you can spend on the other one because you really need a couple of big boomers like that to really contend. Yeah, and it, it, it just seems, seems like, I don't know, there's two sides of the coin on that. The Yankees picking up a big salary, a salary dump from the Marlins mm. uh, with Stanton. They're going to have Stanton and Judge on the same team with the Yankees. And I don't know, I, I wouldn't hand the keys to the castle to uh, a guy like Mike Trout. I wouldn't give him a, a $300 million contract. It just Citizens Bank Park, I think, cost $350 million to uh, to make. <laughs> How much more are these guys going to want? Well, you got to remember, Rich, we're talking about right now, this is today, in 2018, it's a $10 billion industry. You know, people like worry about, you know, like, oh, this guy $30 million a year. Well, when you're talking about a $10 billion industry, when you're talking about a ball team that's worth over a billion dollars or around a billion dollars, uh, that's not a lot of money. These are guys that you need if you want to get back to winning World Series. So at some point, they're going to have to open up that wallet and, and pay somebody. I'm not talking about Carlos Santana handed him $20 billion, which I thought was for burning $20 million in the, in the in a hot stove. Uh, they're going to have to lay out 25, 30, 35 million a year for multiple years for a big, you know, maybe a couple of big players when they want to win a World Series. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to uh, Hoskins to think about as well. He's going to want a lot of money uh, if he can duplicate that season he had last year, of course, hitting uh, 18 home runs in a very short season for him. And before we wrap up the Phillies talk, let's hear a little bit from Reese Hoskins as he was speaking at the Phillies College Summit just the other day at Citizens Bank Park. We're going to take a break after this comment, and then we're going to wrap up the show with some Philadelphia Eagles talk here on Phillies Talk Podcast. We appreciate if you follow the podcast on Twitter and also read the fightinphillies.com blog. Hi, Reese. Uh, I'm Tim Kelly. I'm a senior mass communications major at Bloomsburg University. Uh, you have a more analytically focused manager than you did a year ago, I think a lot of people would say. How do you feel about the idea of potentially hitting second in the lineup as opposed to traditionally hitting third or fourth? I think as long as I get to step into the right-handers handers batter's box three or four times a game, I don't really care where I hit. <laughs> Um, you know, just to put it bluntly, uh, no, I, you know, I, I'm open to anything really. It's, um, there's a lot of information out there. You know, when you say analytics, I think the layman's term is just information. Um, I think the one thing that gave is kind of stress to us has been that things are going to be fluid. And just because you hit second or third or fourth one night doesn't mean it's going to be, second or third or fourth the next night too. So 
You know, he's been really open with us. I'm excited, no matter what. If I see my name in the lineup card, I'll be ready to go that night. The Braves and the Phillies face off 19 times a year, and we don't like each other. But the podcast community certainly does. Atlanta Baseball Talk and the Phillies Talk Podcast. Listen to them both. This is Farley and Mark from Baseball PhD. Thanks for listening to BaseballPodcast.net. Up next, another great episode of Billy's Talk. Hi, this is Gary Matthews. You're listening to Fighting Billy's Talk Podcast. Brewtown Sports is your source for Brewers news and notes. Join Mr. Brewtown as he keeps you up to date on all the happenings of your Milwaukee Brewers and Major League Baseball. Follow the show on Facebook and Twitter, Brewtown Sports. Listen 24-7 at brewtownsports.podomatic.com. Hi, this is Gary Mack of Mets Musing, and you're listening to my good friend Rich Baxter on Phillies Talk. Right here on BaseballTalkRadio.com, the home of great baseball talk shows. And we're back here on this edition of Phillies Talk Podcast, talking all about your Philadelphia Phillies. And I wanted to make special mention of our newest member of the Phillies Talk Podcast team. That's, of course, Mike McCabe, a longtime friend. We go back to the mid-80s, and uh, he was nice enough to join us on this podcast, and I hope he takes note and joins us on future Phillies Talk Podcast. As well, it was great to have him on this show. And we're going to wrap up this show with some Eagles talk. How we think the Eagles are going to do in the Super Bowl 52, which is coming up on a kickoff at 6.30 p.m. in Minneapolis. So uh, here's our wrap up of Phillies Talk podcast for our special Eagles Super Bowl and spring training preview for Phillies Talk podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, the Fightin' Phillies blog. You can find us at fightinphillies.com. Well, let's give our uh, three picks for the Super Bowl 52, who we think is going to win it, and uh, who's going to be uh, the game changer in this game. Uh, Mike, you go first. Mm. I'm taking Philadelphia all the way. I think it's going to be a blowout. Uh, well, of course, I, it would have to be the quarterback. If it's, if it's as I look at it, is okay. So Foles, uh, you got Foles as the MVP for the Super Bowl, and give us a score prediction if you can. Pull it out of the air anywhere. Twenty-eight fourteen. Twenty-eight fourteen Eagles victory in Super Bowl Fifty Two would be a, a tremendous event. They're going up against a guy that has a Super Bowl ring on every finger of one mm. hand, uh, either left or right hand. But uh, how about you, Matt? Who do you like? I think I like the Eagles, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Did you expect me to say anything else? Well. Uh-oh. 
I'm going to say uh, I had this feeling before yesterday, and I, I really have the same feeling again. I mean, I hope I'm not way off, but I feel like I think this is going to be a blowout for the Eagles. Um, I think I'm going to go. I'll go out on the limb here. I'm going to go 31 to 10 Eagles, and my player of the game. Although I think Foles is probably the smart choice. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go in another direction, and I'm going to go with. <laughs> that uh, defensive back safety, Malcolm Jenkins. Jenkins has just had a fantastic year. I think this is going to be a defense game uh, where they're going to start, they're going to play really well, and Jenkins has been the leader there. So I'm going to say he's going to do something big, and I'll go with Malcolm Jenkins. I would like to, mo- I, I agree with you. I'd like to modify my uh, assessment, though. Not with the score, and I think the outcome's the same. And I think Falls is going to have a terrific game. But I think it's going to be a linebacker like Michael Kendricks. A linebacker? As I MVP think, and I think, Bowl? why not? I think somebody on that defense. Yes, somebody, did you, did you, yeah, did, did you hear what he said? He was interviewed and he said he, and he was talking and he's very happy and then all of a sudden he says you know I've never been a champion before and the look on his face another, another good one is that Nigel Bradham mm-hmm. Nigel Bradham has had some fantastic games mm-hmm. he could come up with a big game in the Super Bowl so the defense I think I think we're, we're on target yeah I, I agree with you I think it's somebody there who's going to put the put their mark on the game and, and it's just going to be done well, that'll that'll be interesting. Oh no! He is looking. He is going deep and alone, and it's going to be different. As you begin to sink in, what you've accomplished. And uh, that, of course, the. Uh, <laughs> Let me just wrap up the show. I'll give you my pick uh, for the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm going to. I'm not going to give a pick, but I'm on ESPN right now, <laughs> and I'm going to say that ESPN is saying that the Patriots have a good chance to win if they can control the turnovers in this game. Apparently, they're saying that the Patriots, uh, Mr. Mike Reese from um, ESPN.com, the Patriots in the Bill Belichick era, rather, are 159 wins and only 15 losses when they have a positive turnover differential, uh, including the playoffs. So uh, he, he gives that... Uh, great credence that you know sometimes in a game like the Super Bowl it's not the great plays that a team makes but it'll be the mistakes that they do or don't make whether or not it be the Patriots or the Eagles so uh, looking forward to a great Super Bowl uh, coming up February 4th and Matt I want to thank you for joining us of course and congratulations again on your retirement from uh, the Philadelphia Police Department and Mike McCabe uh, we're going to nickname you the mayor of the boardwalk because I think we're going to have you back a Mm. lot uh, for 2018 Mm. Uh, this sort of worked out well, this uh, trio of uh, Phillies fans here, Matt and Mike. Matt and Mike. <laughs> Bringing up the rear here, buddy. It was fun. I had a, a pleasure. It was a pleasure listening to you. I learned a lot and, from you. And talking with you, of course. Well, yeah, that too. That goes without saying. 
Well, thanks for listening to this edition of uh, Philly's Talk Podcast, and uh, join us on the next one. All right, Matt. Happy New Year's.